Welcome to Women Leading in Cannabis. I'm your host, Kira Reed. Thank you for joining us. Our guest is Anne-Marie Sorrell, President and CEO of the Mosaic Group, an award-winning advertising, marketing, and government relations firm, and the founder of Cannabisiac, an education platform for cannabis professionals. Hello, Anne-Marie. Welcome to Women Leading in Cannabis. Thank you, Kira, and happy to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Anne-Marie was elected by Palm Beach County voters in November 2020 to serve as supervisor for Palm Beach Soil and Water Conservation District, Seat 2. Anne-Marie launched three empowerment initiatives, Black Girl Magic Global, Black Business Loop, and the National Black Economic Conference held annually. She serves on several community boards, including the Chamber of the Palm Beaches Planned Parenthood of, of South, East, and North Florida, and is the president of Girls to Women. She is a charter member of the South Florida Business Journal Leadership Trust and a member of Leadership Palm Beach County, Leadership Florida, Economic Forum, U.S. Global Leadership Coalition's Florida Advisory Committee, NABWIC, the Florida Brownfield Association Environmental Justice and Health Committee. Anne-Marie has served as an adjunct professor at Palm Beach State College, teaching entrepreneurship, small business management, and human relations. Anne-Marie is also the author of Chronicles of a Serial Dater, a journey through the good, bad, funny, and steamy of dating and relationships. Anne-Marie, you are seriously an accomplished woman. How do you even have time to sit down with me? I'm really looking forward to introducing my audience to you. Um, I ask myself the same question, Kira, where do I get time? But I just make it happen, right? I just figure it out and I make it happen. You're amazing. Well, let's, let's start at the beginning with your cannabis story. So how did you find yourself in the industry Especially when you already had community activist, author, entrepreneur, model, and community leader on your resume. Why take on cannabis? <laughs> well, it's interesting. Um, it's an interesting story, actually. So I am Jamaican. I was born in Jamaica, migrated to the U.S. when I was three years old. And I'd always get the question, like, do you smoke weed? And I was like, no. And they're like, how are you Jamaican and you don't smoke weed? And I'm like, because I just don't, <laughs> right? And I realized, like, I would get that question. I'm like, well, I actually know nothing about cannabis. I know nothing about the plant. And so um, about four or five years ago, when Florida was looking to legalize medical marijuana, and the issue, you know, became a ballot issue for the voters. And I've been in politics for many years. So it grabbed my interest because I was like, okay, what does this mean? What does it mean for Floridians? What does it mean for economic development? And in particularly, what does it mean for communities of color? Um, and so once I started doing some research and really trying to understand what was taking place in this 
you know, this industry, why was it illegal to begin with? Um, that's when I really, really got intrigued. Um, and then when I started actually looking at the advocacy and the social justice issues behind it, which I've always been, as you can see, a community person. Um, so that was even more intriguing to say, okay, now people and organizations are starting to capitalize off of something that people have, you know, lost their livelihood, their families, their um, just life, <laughs> parts of their life for, and now it's, you know, this front and center of capitalism. And so I wanted to just really understand what was happening. So I started doing some research. I started attending different seminars. Um, I started looking at the ballot issue for Florida. Um, and then, uh, like I said, it really caught my attention. And um, once I started looking at it from more of a plant medicine, um, as I personally had an injury, um, I, I knew that I didn't want to get on painkillers or anything like that. So I also said, well, let me also try to see how does this impact me from a, a, a plant medicine. But that was a couple of years after I had started attending different functions and even getting product samples for like um, salve and things like that to use as ointment. And I was like, oh, this stuff is amazing. <laughs> Um, and I just really fell in love with, you know, everything about, you know, the plant medicine and, and the fight for justice and um, the economic opportunity. And the more research I started doing, the more seminars I started attending, the more friends I started making in the industry, I realized that there were so many people like me who had no clue other than what we had been fed by media or if we were a part of DARE growing up. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> wow, that's some brainwashing right there, right? Yeah, totally. And and the commercials and, and really realizing that people to this day, there's so many people who really just don't understand the plant medicine and how it impacts people. They're just looking at it from a very negative perspective. And I decided that I wanted to... Um, add <laughs> um, cannabis to to the work that I do. And so initially I said, well, how do I do this from a place that, how do I start from where I am? Um, I'm not, you know, a farmer. I don't know how to grow anything. Um, <laughs> I, I, I killed a bamboo um, <laughs> plant in my house. I was like, okay, how did this die? It lasted for like two years and it died. So I was like, well, clearly I'm not going to be cultivating or growing anything. So <laughs> let me figure out, you know, how do I start with where I am? And so that's what I did. I did the research. You know, I've been in advertising and marketing for over 16 years. I've been an educator for over seven years. Um, and I you know, have worked with incubators and I've coached other businesses. I've um, just, you know, really helped entrepreneurs in whatever their respective businesses are. So I said, well, let me see if there's an opportunity for me to carry the experience, the knowledge that I have from a business and entrepreneurial standpoint into the cannabis industry by first, you know, starting to educate myself about the industry. But then how do I transfer my current skill sets um, and apply it to the industry and help other businesses um, do the same. And so that is how Cannabisiac came about. And then as far as the personal usage goes, um, I after I suffered that injury, um, I started using CBD, both as a topical um, as well as ingesting it. And I tell you, it's been one of the best things that has helped me these past two years with pain and sleep and, you know, just relaxing and 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 
And so for me, that's just a testimony. And I haven't, I haven't taken Advil, but probably once in two years. So. Wow. (laughs) Okay. So you come from a background of education, philanthropy, entrepreneurship, and, you know, traditionally these are very, a little more conservative industries, right? There's when the idea of kind of taking all of that history and then saying, I'm going to go be in cannabis. Were you worried that it was going to have an impact on all of those other things that you were doing that it would not be well received? No, because Kara, I'm that type of person where if an idea comes to my head, I am like, okay, is it feasible? Does it work? Can it have legs? Let me do some research. And then I just go for it. Um, I feel like if I am, if I stop and think about what other people are going to believe, it's kind of like, um, and I learned that actually from writing my book. <laughs> because when I first started writing my book, which it took me six years to actually publish it. Um, and one of the reasons was because I was really like, oh my God, what are people going to think about me writing this book about serial dating and all of my dating and relationship mm-hmm situations and escapades or whatever you want to call them. You just really put it out there. And I put it out there and it, but it took me some time and I had to come to the place where I was like, you know what? People are going to think what they want to think either way. And this book may actually help somebody. It may actually help a young girl or a parent, you know, or a woman who is dealing with a similar scenario. And so I decided to do it and it was one of the best decisions I had ever made. So I learned from that experience that, you know what, if you have an idea, if you have, if you have something in your belly that you want to really get out to the world, because it's really a, that fire in your belly and it's burning and, it, and it's, it's tugging at you, just go ahead and go for it and do it. And, and whatever the consequences may be, you just got to deal with it, you know, but I find that when I've taken those steps, um, it's actually been impactful for me as well as so many other people. Um, and we're experiencing that now with Cannabis Yet. And that is such great advice for any women who are listening who may be on the fence. You know, it's a really legitimate consideration for a lot of women who, like yourself, have been really touched by the plant, whether it was through injury or illness or someone in their family. But there are a lot of considerations about jumping into the industry. So thank you for that advice. I I think that that's really good for a lot of women to hear. Um, All right. So let's talk about Cannabisiac. So you get into cannabis. You've got an education background. What did you see was missing in cannabis education that you built Cannabisiac to to meet the need of? Yeah. So um, there's definitely education opportunities out there um, in different states, uh, particularly, you know, California um, and several other places. Um, But what I found was that either it's not known or it's not accessible or it's not affordable um, or it's intimidating for people um, or, you know, people, when they think about school, it's like, oh my God, I got to go back and get another degree or I have to go study something. And so I wanted to find a way to um, make cannabis interesting and fun and um, a part of a business networking cycle, so to speak, for lack of a better word, right? And so I thought that if if I was able to create a space that felt like an ecosystem where you could come 
and get everything you needed in one place, not just the education, but the networking, um, the, the mentoring, um, the, the, the news and staying up to date on what's happening in the industry. Um, cause a lot of times in education, I've been in the institutional education where, um, no knock against other professors, but professors who may not be working professors where they're not out actually doing another business or their core business. A lot of times they just teach textbooks. So it's not real life. Um, and so I felt that through Cannabisiac, we can bring real life, real time experience to our participants um, in a space that they feel safe, they feel protected, they feel that they're with like-minded people, um, and it's accessible, it's, it's affordable, it's diverse, it's inclusive, and, and that's the, the culture that we're creating at Cannabisiac. What is your long-term vision for the impact that your students who graduate and Cannabisiac as a whole is going to make on the cannabis industry? Oh, man. So my long-term vision, so I, I believe personally in my heart of hearts that um, Cannabisiac and just the cannabis industry as a whole is a great equalizer. And what I mean by that is um, I do a lot of work in economic development. And a lot of the challenges that we have, especially in brown and black communities is economics, socioeconomics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that if we can look at an industry and help communities who are struggling to um, find opportunities as technology is changing, jobs are being you know, devastated. And, and technology is great, don't get me wrong, but when you have automation of everything, people mm-hmm. don't, are, are put out of work. So what what do those people do? What do they turn to? And I feel that this industry has an opportunity in so many areas to create entrepreneurs who can now create jobs and they can also create generational wealth for their family and their community. Um, And that's, that's my driver. Like how do we create generational wealth? How do we create new jobs, um, new opportunities in an exciting way um, that people that spans everything from technology to agriculture to the environment to um, retail. I mean, there's so many aspects, right? And so there's no just one thing. You don't just have to come learn how to code. No, not against technology, right? You don't have to come learn how to code. There's so many aspects of this business transportation. So each person can start with whatever skill sets they have, they can learn, build on them and grow in this industry, but they just need a place to go learn it. And so Cannabisiac is that place where you come and you learn and you grow. So my vision is that we're creating so many entrepreneurs around the world who can now go back to their communities, create jobs, because it's one thing to have a business, but until you become an employer, That's when you're making true impact, when you're employing other people and putting food on tables. And then now those people can turn around and be great contributors of their community. And now you can contribute to philanthropy. You can contribute to all the other pieces, the social justice pieces that 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 can make a difference. Right. So I think it's just one big circle that I think this ecosystem will create 
Um, and, and I'm just happy to be a part of it and, and build something special um, with Cannabis Yet. You don't need a college degree as a prerequisite to sign up. And it's something that if you are new to cannabis and maybe you don't have a college degree, maybe you never really thought of yourself as an entrepreneur before, Cannabisiac is a place that you can go to where the learning is accessible and you'll get the skills that you need to leave an entrepreneur. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and we have so many ways for you to start that learning. And that learning can start for an event, a webinar for $10. We spend $10 on one meal at a fast food joint, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So you can you can kickstart your, your journey with literally just attending a webinar or you can become a member and get access to information, people, other events, um, discounts on other learnings. We have on-demand courses that start as little as $25 and up. Now, I'm not saying they're all that low. Some go up into the thousands, right? But it depends on what it is, but at least you have a place to start. And then our incubator, you're getting six months of training per level for, if you're a member, $799 is $799. Or if you're a non-member for $999, $1,000. Most people just got a stimulus check for $1,200. So mm-hmm. if you sign up for $1,000, you still got $300 left. <laughs> and, oh, an education that could completely change your life. Exactly. That's the $1,200 ever spent. Best $1,200 spent. Um, and you're literally kickstarting a career or a, who knows, you could be the next um, Jeff Bezos of cannabis with that $1,000 investment. And how amazing would that be if it was a woman of color that was the next Jeff Ooh, What? So amazing. <laughs> it shouldn't be amazing. It should just be expected. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so speaking of women of color, I want to I want to talk a little bit about Mosaic Group. I know you're not focused on the cannabis industry, but there's something that's been happening lately that is really heartbreaking to me. And we're seeing more and more uh, or I should say less and less interest in the retail space in cannabis in investing in women and uh, BIPOC brands. There's less shelf space. You know, we were once trendy and now it's not so much. And I don't understand that because I know for a fact that when you do feature those brands and you do focus on that community of consumer, you will do well. So I want to hear a little bit from you. You have focused Mosaic Group on reaching minority groups through marketing and advertising. Was that a conscious decision for you to cater to those groups? Did it come about over time? Is it successful? Is it in demand? You know, I really want to hear what it's like when you take an entire business and you focus it on a certain group because I, I, we're losing that here. Yeah. So, um, so I'll give you a little quick background. So with Mosaic Group, when I started the company, um, the whole purpose of the name Mosaic was that um, I wanted to have a company that reached diverse audiences, um, have a diverse portfolio of industries, um, and just a diverse group of even employees. Um, and I wanted to, in, in, at the time in the space and still here in South Florida, there are not a lot of, and in the country at all, really, there's not a lot of um, advertising, marketing, and PR firms, especially everyone that does all of it. Um, 
for people of color, right? They're small one-off, but as far as those of us who are like have like employees and you know offices and everything like that, there's just not a lot of us. Um, but particularly here in Florida, what one of the things that I said that when I started, I, said, I don't want to be boxed into boxed into um, this is Emory and she only does work for black people and black events and black this, right? Which is great. I have no problem with that. Um, what I wanted to do was be a resource for people who did not understand how to communicate with and how to reach um, multicultural audiences. A lot of times multicultural audiences are ignored until people realize that they need us. <laughs> well, we can make money. Yeah. Yeah. And not understanding the brand loyalty, the spend um, that we have as a community and as cultures. And even within our our ethnicities, there's still so much diversity within our ethnicities. Yes, I'm Jamaican, I'm Caribbean, but even the Caribbean diaspora has a bunch of differences um, and nuances and 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 just so much amazingness about us that we're not just not just all the same. However, how you reach us is different. So you may not reach us by a billboard. <laughs> um, you're going to have to work with our newspapers that we read religiously because we go to that Caribbean restaurant. It's right there on the stand. We pick it up, we read it. Um, we You're going to go to that uh, underground radio station that we listen to religiously mm. because it has our news um, back, you know, it's, it's talking about news, not just here in America, but back in our home countries. And so same thing with the Latinx community. Um, you can't just find, just think, oh, you're going to just reach them through an email or you're going to, you know, advertise on one mainstream radio station or just go to Telemundo. All Latinx communities don't watch or listen to or read the same thing. So it's really what we do for clients is based on their target audience, based on their product, their service, we help them a craft messaging and we make sure that messaging is translated in language. We help them to um, look at where the audience is. You have to meet people where they are. And so we literally go where they are, whether it's through media or literally knocking on their doors. <laughs> we go where they are. Um, it could be to their places of worship. We go where they are. And we take our clients to those places. So um, we really teach our clients how to meet these various audiences, these cultural audiences, where they are with the messages and in the languages um, that they that they speak in. Um, and, and we try to go out of the box with it, right? So I think when we talk about, when you bring it back to cannabis, we have to do similar approaches. Um, just because you open a dispensary doesn't mean that multicultural communities are gonna roll up in a dispensary to get what they need, especially if they don't know if that dispensary owner has not done any specific strategic marketing to those communities. Even on a, if, if that dispensary has not done the, the legwork and the grassroots work in the community, it's not just a build it and they'll come scenario. And so that's what we, we have to apply similar strategies in our industry. And when it comes to on the flip side, from the economic development standpoint, like you said, if the products aren't being featured on the shelf, well, that's a problem. Um, I experienced that on the private sector and even dealing with government. We do a lot of government work, you know, and there's so many disparities when it comes to women in government contracting and then 
people of color in in government contracting. The percentages are ridiculous, Kira. When you talk about if you took a pie of 100% in government contracting, and this is just across the board, right? Less than 5% go to women. Wow. It's, that sounds very similar to our funding numbers. Yeah. And then when you break that down for uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color, less than 1% oftentimes. That sounds exactly like funding numbers. Yeah. And you know what the number one excuse is? And this is why I can't, organizations like Cannabis Act is going to be so critical in this space. And, and what I do with Mosaic is so critical because the, the, the argument is, Always, it never fails. We can't find them, mm-hmm. or, or they're not qualified, or they don't have the capacity. We got to change that narrative because the businesses are here, people are here. Um, yeah, they may not have the capacity because they never got the opportunity yeah. to grow. If you didn't even offer a small piece of the pie so that that person, that business can grow, can even get their foot in the door to start building their track record, to start building capacity. How are they ever going to get to where where you want them to be, right? And so it's important that whether it's what I do in Mosaic or to, because what I do is bring awareness, you know, to those types of things with the advertising marketing to these types of issues. And then with Cannabisiac, we're creating a place for whether it's a corporate company or at some point government, because government will be in cannabis, right? (laughs) So corporate company, government, whatever part of that supply chain it is, cannot say, oh, we don't have businesses to compete or businesses don't have the capacity. No, we're developing those businesses in cannabis yet. So there's no excuse. You You have them right here. I love that. You just gave me chills, (laughs) Anne-Marie. I love that. I love that passion. And, you know, the thing that I, I just have the hardest time wrapping my brain around is it isn't as if women, you know, we do make 80% of the buying decisions in our household. So we control the purse and we want products made for us and same with people of color. So it's not like there are only five of us in a community and we have no buying power whatsoever and you'll never see the, I mean, that's just so ridiculous. There is a massive, massive audience out there. Absolutely. Okay. I want to know about your leadership because you are an executive in two or three companies right now. Um, and I will honestly to say that one is enough for me. So I don't know you manage so much. But what insights can you share about how you get so much done and how you manage to lead big teams so effectively? Because you've got a huge team at Cannabisiac, and I imagine in order to fulfill the responsibilities you've taken on at Mosaic, you also need a large team. Yes. (laughs) Um, So I've always tried to work with a collaborative mindset, and um, that is so critical. And you have leaders who, um, and I think it all depends on your background when it comes to leadership. Um, I'm a leader who believes in collaborating. There's no job for me that's too big or too small um, within my organization. So if, so for example, like during political season when, you know, Mosaic, we have a political campaign or candidate or ballot issue 
and we got to put some boots on the ground. Well, if it's not enough hands on deck, guess what? And plus, sometimes I just like to be out there. I'll go knock on doors and canvas with my team um, <laughs> because that does a couple of things. Um, it lets me understand. It, it keeps me grounded to understand what they're dealing with. So I don't have to do an undercover boss. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. Um, I, I understand it, it I, if it's hot and it's, it's you know, most, you know, days and it's long, I get it. And I'm like, okay, let me reward them because I understand what that is, what it feels like. Um, I, I also try to empower my team. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a realist um, here. I don't believe that. And especially in this where we don't have generations of people who come and work for anybody for 20, 30 years anymore. Right. That's just not the reality. People are going to come. The lifespan of an employee is probably about five years. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just being realistic. It's probably about five years. It's true. And so when you know that, then you, you can do one or two things as a leader. You can try to coddle them and just keep them very limited and just let them know what they just only what they need to know and don't give them room to grow because you're so afraid that they're going to leave or they're going to take your information and go, or you can empower them. You can make them feel like they're part of something. You can, you can reward them. You can recognize them. You can, again, collaborate with them. You can make them feel like a creative culture where everyone feels and knows and understands that they play a vital role to the bottom line. And so I really stress to my team how much of an asset they are the role they play to the bottom line of the business, I don't care what role you're in from administrative assistant to VP of business development, you are critical to our bottom line. You are critical to our growth. These awards that I get, it does not happen without you, right? I let them know that, but at the same time, I also hold them accountable, right? Um, and I try to create some flexibility where we're not just so strict and, you know, but I lead by that. And then I also tell them, I want you to be the best because I know you're not going to be with me forever. And I'd love you to be right. But if you're not, when you leave Mosaic or Cannabisiac, whether it's six months, a year, five years or 20 years, whatever that is. Right. And you, someone looks at your resume and say, oh, my God, you used to work for. I don't want them to be like, oh my God, you're trash. What do they teach you over there? <laughs> I you want to be a gold star. Right. I want them to say, oh my God, I need to recruit all of Mosaic's employees, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I hold their feet to a certain standard of delivery that it's like, I want you to be at your A game. If you think Beyonce's at her A game, you need to be better than Beyonce. <laughs> mm. and, but, but, and, but that's how I live my life because I'm like, okay, Emory, how are you going to top this? How are you going to top that? What are you going to do different? How are you going to, I want my clients and even with Cannabisiac, I want our members to say, oh my God, what would I do without Cannabisiac? Mm. Or my clients, what would I do without Mosaic? And that's what I tell my team. I'm like, you have to, position yourself. You have to um, develop yourself in a way that you are valued and people feel like they can't function without you. And so that's how I lead. (laughs) That is a great lesson. And what has being a woman and a woman of color 
done to shape your leadership? How have those experiences in your life really kind of molded you into the leader that you are today? Yeah. So, well, there's a few things, right? Um, Growing up, I grew up in a very small town called Pahokee, Pahokee, Florida. It's in Western Palm Beach County, um, population of about 6,000 people, Um, agriculture community, and the and agriculture meaning that the people who owned farms were the ones who had money and everybody else were farm workers or family derivatives of which I my family came to that area because of sugarcane. Um so very poor area for those who didn't own the farms. You said it was one of the poorest counties in the country. One of the poorest cities in the country, yeah. So we have the wealthiest, one of the wealthiest Palm Beach, just east of Palm, eastern Palm Beach County. And then on the west side of Palm Beach County, we have the poorest. Um, <laughs> it's, it's crazy, right? Um, so I think for me, one of the things that was always a challenge, even high school to college, when you said you were from Pahokee, it was automatically like, oh, really? Hmm. And so with that, with knowing that, I was like, well, I can't have people having that type of attitude towards me just because of where I'm from. So here it is where I'm from, my gender and my color. When I walk into a room and someone says where you're from, those three things are the first things that I'm being judged on. Um, So that wasn't always easy. So I had to make sure that I had the mindset that you will not put me in a box you will not judge me and write me off just because of where I'm from, just because of my gender, just because of my color. You're not going to write me off because what you're getting from me is someone who is not only passionate, but I'm knowledgeable, I'm smart, I'm witty, and I'm going to get the job done, whatever that job is. And that is how I have just really utilized those, what some people would say, barriers to create opportunities for myself. So I made sure that I became a quick study of everything, became a sponge, learn how to build relationships, learn how to listen, learn how to be diplomatic, whatever I needed to do to make sure that every potential no became a yes. Um, And I still have to do that. And that's, and it's, it's tiring sometimes, right? It's, um, but I learned how to do it in my own authentic way which makes it not so exhausting because now when you see me, you're seeing me. I'm, I'm, I'm my authentic self. This is who I am. I don't pretend I don't put on a facade. This is exactly who I am. This is exactly what you get. Um, but I know myself, I know my worth, I know my value that I'm going to bring to you. And it's up to you to look past those first three layers and get to see that. And I think that I've done that in such a way over the years, thank God, you know, that my career um, has spoken for itself. Um, when I just ran for office, I had no idea, Kira, that 390,000 plus people were going to cast their vote for me. Wow. No idea. I was shocked. I was like, wait, I just got how many votes? What percentage of the population? 66%? What? (laughs) Wow. What a testament. Absolutely. And, and, And it was in the most awkward election cycle during a pandemic where I couldn't go knock on any doors. Wow. It was literally through word of mouth and the work that I had been doing in my community 
for all these years that that allowed people the comfort to say, yeah, we got to put her in office. We know she's authentic. We know we can trust her. Exactly. Exactly. That is really inspiring, Anne-Marie. I think there are a lot of women who wish that they could find that courage in themselves. And sometimes seeing it in another woman is the spark that we need to find that in ourselves. So thank you very much for sharing that and for being a leader. So what advice do you have for women who want to transition into cannabis? And what did you learn in your move to cannabis that you wish someone had shared with you earlier? Oh my God, I'm still learning. (laughs) (laughs) It never ends, does it? It doesn't. And um, there's so much to learn. Um, I would say the first thing for any woman that's wishing to transition into cannabis, um, you really have to find your why. You have to find your why and you have to find passion with why you're doing this. If you're looking at it as, oh my God, this is a $43 billion global industry and I need to make a billion of it myself, then you're going to lose. <laughs> mm-hmm. You have to have something that, you know, whether it's a personal testimony or whether it's an impact that you want to make, but it needs to, you need to have a why and a, and a passion for it because it's not easy. So that's the first thing. Understand your why. The second thing is really cultivate relationships. Um, do your research, do your due diligence before you dive in. Um, start to see who is in the industry, who's willing to help advise and show you the ropes. Um, I have an amazing, uh, a few amazing business partners, um, Cheryl Murray Powell to be one. Um, she is just, she lives, breathes, eats, sleep, cannabis. We love Cheryl Murray Powell. Love her to pieces, right? And her drive, her push to even just holding me accountable as the leader of this organization, hold the rest of our team is so important and so critical. Um, she doesn't allow us to fall short, right? Um, so having relationships with people like a Cheryl, my other partner, Keisha, who's in Canada, um, I've known her for so many years, um, probably 12 years or so. Um, but she, uh, she also holds me accountable. Um, she has a passion. She has a drive. They all have a drive for this. And then meeting other people like you, Kira, when we first met, like your energy, your spirit, I was just like, oh my God, I love her, right? <laughs> Feeling was totally mutual. <laughs> so it's like, we're new best friends. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, and for the women out there, if you have that passion, if you have that drive and you know your why, when you meet people like Kira, it's going to be so easy to gel and build a relationship because it shines through it, it. Their passion shines through your passion shines through when you link it together. It's just like, oh, wow, what just happened? Right. So, um, so relationships are super, super critical research, critical, your why is critical. And then um, the follow through, you know, I'm on clubhouse and I think that's one of the hardest apps for me to really try to follow up with people on. Cause just so many coming at you at one time, <laughs> but um, the, the follow through, the planning um, and strategy is super important. Understanding the business that you're going to be in. And I don't care if it's cannabis or another industry. You really got to understand the business 
that you're going to be in. You got to understand the nuances that's going to come up. I'll give you a perfect example. Kira, I just had um, uh, Morgan Stanley, <laughs> who I do some of my financial planning with. When, I, when they saw my involvement in cannabis, they called me and was like, hey, um, we're going to need to talk about this because we don't support cannabis businesses. We don't support clients in the cannabis businesses. And I was like, okay, we can talk about it because that's fine. If I have to move, I'll have to move, but this is what we're doing. <laughs> you know, so those are nuances that are going to come up and may even attack you personally where your money that you're putting into whatever investments or financial planning is, has nothing to do with it. Right. So you're, you're, you're going to be challenged in ways that you did not even think of and you have to be ready and, and if you have your why, that why is going to help you push through every single challenge that comes up. Your why and your tribe. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Because you could, I mean, cannabis with all the other things you've done, they're all hard. They're not easy, but cannabis is all of that hard. Plus a mountain of difficult challenges that you cannot even imagine in any other industry. And so it, it takes really having that why deep inside of you. And, you know, a lot of the women here are very fortunate because it, just like with you, it changed my life. It solved my pain. It solved my depression. It helped my mother. So that why is fairly easy to come to and hold on to. But when you have your tribe there too, it it reinforces everything that you're doing and it helps you get out of bed when you're terrified and when it seems like the world is against you and the regulations are pouring down on you and you have just lost your bank account again. And all of these challenges, it really is the tribe and linking arms with women like Cheryl who just, they make it all worthwhile because you feed each other's passion. Your whys all collide and it creates a very a strong energy that I've never experienced in any other industry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you Kira. Like um, the, the people I've met over the last few years, but particularly over this last year of launching cannabis, yeah, um, the passion, the support, um, the willingness. Oh my God. I don't think I've ever experienced so much willingness to help. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree up from my end as well. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Like, oh, I got you. What, what do you need? And I'm like, well, I'm not even, I don't even know what I need yet. I'm not ready. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> right. I know I interviewed so many great women and all of them, you know, they're incredibly busy entrepreneurs. They're in-demand thought leaders. And yet they'll come on here and they'll say, if you want to reach out to me, if you're new, if you need help, here's my information. Please reach out. I'm always here to help other women. It just, it, it's so astounding to me. I've never experienced that in any other industry. Why do you think that is? I would, I would allude it to a sorority a little bit. If anybody's ever been a part of any sorority, I don't care, black sorority, white sorority, whatever sorority, right? Um, any type of sisterhood type organization. Um, when you're in the same boat together and you can relate, it's that much more easier to join forces and become allies. And sometimes until something impacts you directly, you don't, you don't, you don't know why you need that tribe. But once it does impact you and you 
see who you have around you, who's still standing, and you're able to really lean on each other, then it becomes even that more important. And then what that does for you, when you get through whatever it is, now you're compelled to reach back to somebody else and help them out. And it continues that that goodwill cycle, right? At least it should. But I think that's what it happens. And I think in this industry, because it's so challenging, because no state is the same, no regulation is the same, no uh, one, two, bit, no, no particular business or experience or why or story is the same. But what is the same is that we all face these different challenges and we all have to lean on each other to work through them. Um, and then as entrepreneurs, as women entrepreneurs on top of it, that's a whole nother element, Kara. We're, we're dealing with everything from spouses and companions to children, to, to being caretakers of parents, to, to, to being philanthropists, to still having to find some five minutes of the day for self-care because um, we're naturally nurturers. So I think that's the other thing with women where we just have that in common, where we're like naturally nurturers and we, we, we understand that we all have, we, we're, we're octopuses in, in, in our sleep. Um, <laughs> we, have, we have these other invisible, <laughs> we have six other invisible arms that nobody sees, but we know they're there, right? Because we have them doing everything else. And so we as women just have, um, something that we can relate to that, you know, sorry, men love y'all, you know, but you can't relate to us being the multitaskers and octopus and nurturers that we are because we have so much on our shoulders that we carry um, mm-hmm. as women. And, and, and we know what that feels like. And, and a man cannot come and tell us what that is like. So that's another reason why I think that we're able to bond so well um, and really understand and relate to each other, even though our situations may be different, but we still carry those similar burdens and 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 obligations as women. We also carry the burden of not getting funding. Yes. Right. Of sexual discrimination. Yes. Or um, think it's someone thinking that we have to use our sexuality to mm-hmm. get ahead. And it's like, many of us don't. We're just out here using our brains and our talents and our gifts um, and whatever resources we have to push forward. Um, So yeah, we don't want to be looked at as, you know, oh, if you do this, I'll do that for you. No. (laughs) So we we have a lot of challenges as women. Yeah, a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful that so many women who are drawn to the industry have such huge hearts. And really, really are committed to the advancement of women in the industry. You know, it isn't just one or two. It is a lot of women out here who are creating this sisterhood. And I'm so glad that I know you now and that you are part of my tribe and my sisterhood. Because, And I can't wait to meet you in person. You've become a COVID friend. Yes, I can't wait. So <laughs> You're my COVID friend. But no, we became friends during COVID over Zoom. Yes. <laughs> I totally know what you mean, but yes, whatever we got to call it, <laughs> you know, but I, I'm looking forward to it. And, and you, you have an amazing, I don't know if we can even talk about it, but I can't wait to meet you in June. Yes. 
for Lady Jane Society's yes. event. Yes, it is. Um, it's going to be an intimate invite only event. We're only having about 65 women who are all leaders in cannabis um, is our first time to really get to come back together and do it in a really safe way. And I'm really looking forward to the reintegration, you know, a slow, easy acknowledgement of the fact that we've just been through a hell of an experience and um, we're all suffering a little bit, you know, in ways I don't even think we're really going to understand until we're in a room full of people again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to it. It's um, I, and I'm sure as, as many women, especially as we just kind of matriculate through our respective careers in life, you know, um, sometimes we get detached from our, our tribes, you know, like my, most of my friends are college friends and they're all over the place. And I have a couple of friends that are still here locally, but not that many. So during the pandemic, I haven't just, I just really have not connected with them in person and some in two, three years now. And so it's like when we get when we do get together, oh my God, I don't I don't think <laughs> if you recorded the conversations of women, I'm sure there's probably like hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. <laughs> I know my former guest, um, she can't attend because she is going to Pride in San Francisco that same weekend. And I mean, can you even imagine what kind of party that's gonna be this year? Ooh. Yeah. That's gonna be crazy. I mean, but well, yeah, that's gonna what it's it's ooh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. I'm like, huh, maybe I won't go to my event this year. That sounds like, <laughs> but unfortunately I cannot talk to you forever because I, no. I really think I could. I know. I know. I, when you had me on as a guest at, on Cannabisiac, I know I was scheduled for like 40 minutes and ended up talking for about an hour or 20 or something, but such a great conversation with you. So I, to wrap things up, I would really love to hear what you're excited about for Cannabisiac in 2021 and 2022. Oh my God. So much excitement. So, um, right now we have our on-demand learning, learn at your own pace courses, and we have several that we're going to be adding, um, everything from growing hemp, um, with none other than Doug Fine. Um, the American Hemp Farmer. Um, we have a new partnership that we're going to be rolling out with Western Educational Institute with some culinary uh, cannabis courses. So for all of my, yes, all of my foodies and chefs out there, this is going to be for you. Um, and we have so much more in store. So I, I don't want to give it all away, but just say that within the next 60 days, we have um, several other partnerships and on-demand learning programs that is going to just really take everything to another level. I am um, also excited about our incubator program, which we have three levels. Um, we are your green print to a successful business. Um, so we have our foundation, which is fundamentals of entrepreneurship with a focus on cannabis. We have our structural uh, program, which is uh, all things cannabis. It's a real deep dive from the history and prohibition to the science of the plant to where the different opportunities are from the plant touching side to the um, ancillary sides um, and everything you need to get started and everything you need to know about cannabis and in industry. Um, and then our third piece is our reinforcement and that program is where you pick your niche. And with that niche, you are assigned to a coach or mentor 
and you have very specific courses and instructors for that particular niche. And you have a lot of different action items to take you to monetization right away. So, um, so we're super excited about that. Uh, 2020. So we start the first two programs on June 1st and they run through December 5th, I believe. Um, and then the third program, which we'll be doing one, two, and three simultaneously January and they'll run through June. So um, you can take all three at the same time, starting in January, or you can start with the first two in June. And again, for non-members, it's just $9.99 per program. So if you do both programs, we'll also offer you 20% off if you want to do both programs at the same time, because they're on different days. And we have evening and weekend options for you as well. Um, so I'm super excited because we only have, for each program, we only have 25 slots per cohort. So 25 for, uh, for the foundation program and 25 for the structure. Um, so if you decide to do both, then that means you got to you know, sign up. So I'm super excited about that because that means that by um, the end of 2021, we should be launching or introducing at least 50 new businesses in cannabis. That is so impressive. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm really excited because WEIC is going to partner with Cannabisiac and we are going to see what we can do to help each other make that goal happen. So I'm really excited to be on board with you. Absolutely. And WEIC, I'm so excited. We've already started telling all the women. So for those who don't know Cannabisiac, we have attracted probably 70% women to our organization. And so we had no plans to try to reinvent the wheel and create a uh, like a, a, a committee or entity within an organization for women. And so with Kara, <laughs> um, we will be, you know, having all of our members join you, Kara, and all of the great work that you're doing. Um, so I'm excited about our collaboration, our partnership, and, and you and your team just really being that support system to empower the women that are a part of Cannabisiac, including myself. <laughs> so I'm excited about it. Awesome. We are as well. We are as well. We're looking forward to it. Well, Anne-Marie, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, before we go, where can women learn more? Now that you've told us all about this incredible program uh, that you've got going, how do women find out more if they want to get involved? Absolutely. You can apply now for our incubator program at cannabisiac.com and at C-A-N-N-A-B-I-Z-I-A-C.com forward slash incubator. And for everything else, you can just go to cannabisiac.com, take a look at our website. And if you're on Mighty Networks, join our free Cannabisiac community on Mighty Networks, where you can receive updates and information and lots of great news stories and interact with our members there as well. Excellent. Get your green print for a successful career at Cannabisiac. I love that. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie, for your time and for sharing your journey with us today. Thank you, Kira. Ladies, thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't yet joined the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, go to our brand new website at womenempoweredincannabis.com. There you'll find lots of information on our new membership offerings for women working in cannabis. You can also find us on Clubhouse as WEIC, where we host AMA rooms with investors and recruiters and monthly open mics to introduce yourself to the community. 
WEIC is a community that provides resources, connections, events, and content to women working in cannabis in the U.S., Canada, and around the world where there's an interest in cannabis legalization. We welcome women who are currently working in cannabis or curious about taking a leap into the industry. Consider becoming a supporting member or supporting business for benefits and access across the network. And join us next week for another conversation with women leading in cannabis. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.